Hello, this is Dr. Adams, playing with this Warrior Health, and today I'm going to talk to you about atrial fibrillation, or AFib. I decided to talk about this topic because in the office today I saw a new patient who walked in and was telling me how he had palpitations. He had the sensation like his heart was racing. And lo and behold, when we took his vitals, we found his heart rate was like in the 180s, which is really fast because if you think about it, the heart rate should probably be between 60 and 80 maybe go up to 100 max at rest. Um, but just sitting in my office, this guy's heart rate was 180, which is uh, a little bit alarming from my perspective. However, the good news was he wasn't lightheaded, he wasn't dizzy, he wasn't fainting or falling. And those are typical things that we see when people's heart rate goes that fast. And so I sent him to the emergency room where uh, we started medicines to slow his heart rate down. And on that, I said, you know, maybe I should talk about AFib. This guy, you know, came into my life for a reason, and that was to speak to the world about atrial fibrillation. So what exactly is atrial fibrillation? Well, let's let's take a step back. The heart itself has two upper chambers called the atria and two lower chambers called the ventricles. Atrial fibrillation is when there's a rhythm disturbance up in the atrium. There, there's a rhythm disturbance in the upper chambers, and that rhythm disturbance happens because there are multiple irritable points within the atria and they ca it causes that chamber to what we call fibrillate or move around like a bag of worms, not really contract normally. You see, normally what happens is that uh, we, we have all of us, each and every one of us have a pacemaker and that pacemaker, its job is to tell the heart in what order and in what fashion it should beat. And so the pacemaker sends out an impulse and it goes to the atria, the two top chambers, and it, it causes those chambers to actually squeeze to push blood forward in, down through the valves into the ventricles and once that happens the impulse that impulse that causes the heart to at least the atria to, to contract then moves on to what we call the av node which is basically a way station uh, where it just waits a couple seconds just allowing the atria to enter, empty and sends that signal down to the ventricles the two main chambers down beneath causing those chambers then to contract to, to be activated and move blood forward in the right direction. Well, atrial fibrillation is a situation where there are multiple, multiple uh, impulses that are causing the atria not to contract like it usually does. And basically, as I mentioned before, fibrillate or move around like a bag of worms. So what's the big deal about this? Why are why is there a problem with this? Well, there are a couple of things that we, we have to worry about. One is heart rate. When people are in atrial fibrillation, the heart rate can go quite fast. It can go up until one... 80s, even over 200 if, if you're a young, healthy person. And having a fast heart rate for a long period of time can do a number of things, not to mention if you have underlying coronary disease, if you have underlying atherosclerosis, or you have underlying um, blocked arteries, it can cause actually or precipitate a heart attack. Or in certain circumstances, it can cause heart failure. And the reason why this happens is, is I usually describe uh, the situation as um, very similar to I don't know if you're familiar with I Love Lucy. Well, I Love Lucy was a show that came out in black and white back in the, I guess it was the 50s. Uh, and um, there was one episode in particular where Lucy, the main character, and her best friend Ethel decided to get a job in a chocolate factory. Well, everything sounds, uh, starts out very nice and organized, and they're doing a great job in wrapping the chocolates as they move along the conveyor belt. When the foreman or foreman woman comes out and, and says you're doing a great job you're doing amazing let it rip and so at that point in time the, the conveyor belt uh had 
moved in roadrunner fashion and fast forwarded and it caused Lucy and Ethel to actually fail at their job. They end up having chocolate on the floor and chocolate in their hat and chocolate down their down their bra and they, they basically were, were two workers that were overworked and began to fail because they couldn't they couldn't accomplish their task in the time that they were given. Well this is what happens also to the heart. You can go into heart failure. Your heart will become weak and dilated and big and you'll start retaining fluid and many of these patients will end up uh, in congestive heart failure and and, um, and sometimes it can be reversible, obviously, if you slow the heart rate down. But that being said, that's what also atrial fibrillation can cause. It can cause congestive heart failure. It can cause a heart attack. It can also cause, believe it or not, a stroke. So as I mentioned earlier, the atria, the top chambers of the heart, are um, normally uh, part of the process of moving blood forward. Well, in atrial fibrillation, the, heart, the, the atria do not pump. And when... They don't pump. Blood just sits around. And you know what happens when blood sits around. It coagulates. It forms these little clots. And in that situation where these clots form, they can then fly to places where we don't want them, like the brain causing a stroke, or to the gut causing a bowel, bowel infarction, or to a, a limb, like a, a leg, a toe, an arm, a finger, or to a kidney, or to you know other, other parts of the body where we don't want them to go. So, atrial fibrillation uh, shows, at least can cause a number of issues. One being very fast heart rate. Two, congestive heart failure or heart attack. Um, and uh, three, causing a stroke uh, amongst other issues. So, these are the things that we're concerned about when we're dealing with a patient with atrial fibrillation. So, with this gentleman who came in and um, we saw in the emergency room, it so happened that his blood pressure was not so bad. It was actually relatively decent. So, we were able to treat him by lowering his heart rate, by giving him medicine through an IV to slow the heart down. But uh, because uh, his atrial fibrillation, this funny rhythm persisted, um, we, we needed to do something a little bit different. And so we were, at least I was able to take him to the cath lab, take him to a place in the hospital where we do angiograms as well as other procedures. And I was able to cardiovert him. I actually did what we call a transesophageal echo. I looked uh, at his heart very closely with a specialized echo that we do through the esophagus as you know the patient's sleeping we put a probe down the throat we're able to look around and make sure there were no clots lurking about and once we were, were sure that there were no clots uh, i was able to then cardiovert the patient or shock him back into normal rhythm again while he's sleeping obviously we wouldn't want to do it while you're awake um, and he was able to at least stay in normal rhythm so that's um that's one way of dealing with, with AFib is by treating the rate, slowing the heart rate down. We use medicines like beta blockers like metoprolol or atenolol. Um, or we use calcium channel blockers like uh, diltiazem or, um, or, or verapamil. Uh, those, those medicines are known to help slow the heart rate down. So that's one way of dealing with it. By slowing the heart rate down, you, you help treat the patient. There's another way of dealing with it. You can treat the rhythm. You can actually shock them out of the rhythm that they're in. And you can do that a number of ways. You can actually apply pacer pads onto them and attach them to a defibrillator. And again, while they're sleeping, we don't want to piss anyone off. While they're sleeping, we shock them back into a normal rhythm. That's another way of dealing with it. You can also chemically cardiovert or chemically uh, um, get people into normal rhythm. There's certain antiarrhythmic medicines that we use. Uh, and there's a laundry list, so I'm not going to go into them 
over here because I think it's a little bit too technical. Um, so that's another way of dealing with it. And many of these patients who we do cardiovert electrically, we actually end up do putting on antiarrhythmic therapy, anti-rhythm uh, problem therapy, uh, which is generally a pill. Um, and then we have to deal with the clot forming abilities or the, the problem of clots forming uh, by dealing with uh, medicines such as antiplatelet agents or uh, otherwise known as aspirin uh, and or anticoagulants. Uh, traditionally, we've used medicines like heparin or low molecular weight heparin or coumadin or warfarin. Um, more recently, we have newer agents, newer fangal agents, such as what we call DOAX, direct oral anticoagulants, or what were called NOAX at one point in time, novel oral, oral anticoagulants, um, where they do not need the close monitoring as the other medicines. And it was actually a pretty big breakthrough. Uh, why? Uh, because people who are on anticoagulation on these medicines to pre prevent clots from forming needed to be monitored regularly. They need to come to a doctor's office or a laboratory and get blood work done to see how thin their blood was. Well, this um, process was hit or miss. Everyone had a different uh, point where they were fully anticoagulated or uh, or hypercoag or or um, or actually very 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 uh, thin blood, and. And so because it was so unpredictable, not only because between patients, but also between um, what you ate, uh, because the medicine uh, that we gave orally called warfarin was, um, was actually deactivated by a certain vitamin, a vitamin called vitamin K, uh, specifically vitamin K1. And so if a patient would eat a uh, big bowl of green leafy vegetables, such as broccoli or spinach or kale, um, those vegetables in particular have a high content of vitamin K and would counteract cumin, would counteract warfarin. And so it would end up that they would not be anticoagulated. Um, or if they didn't eat the, the, those, those uh, greens, then they would be either therapeutic or, or, very, uh, or super therapeutic or have their blood be very thin. So... That's what, where these newer agents came into play, the ones that we didn't have to monitor uh, how thin the blood was. And it was uh, quite easy, quite, uh, it is quite easy. It's uh, a, a lot more welcoming uh, to the patients. However, this uh, blood thinner needs to be used with caution in certain circumstances, uh, kidney problems, liver issues, uh, and the like. Um, and these medicines need to be dosed accordingly. So that's really AFib in terms of how we treat it. We treat the rate, we treat the rhythm, we uh, anticoagulate, um, and, um, and that's really the, the, the long and the short of it. P how did people end up with atrial fibrillation? Well, one, um, you can have a gene for it. There are a number of genes that are implicated in creating atrial fibrillation or making you predisposed to having pre uh, atrial fibrillation. High blood pressure can do it, cholesterol problems, age. Your maturity can do it. Uh, other things that can do it, um, alcohol, uh, you know, high doses of alcohol. We would call it holiday heart syndrome where a patient would come in after binging over a weekend and would develop AFib. Um, also, believe it or not, sleep apnea or uh, a medical condition that causes sleep problems can also induce atrial fibrillation. Um, so those are the things that can potentially cause, even uh, some, some level of coronary disease can cause AFib. Um, so if you look at these causes, many of them are, um, are, are at least re uh, reversible, if not uh, amenable to treatment. And um, there are those that aren't, like the, the gene issue. So 
Um, so again, there are causes to AFib. Even valvular heart disease also is a very big cause, whether you have a valve that's too tight or a valve that's too, le that's too leaky would cause the atria to become irritable because it stretches the atria out. So that's what typically will cause AFib. So we have the cause, we have uh, treatment options, um, at least medical treatment options. There is a procedural treatment option where they can go in and ablate your AFib. Uh, basically what would happen would be is I would send me as a cardiologist, send you to a, an electrophysiologist or rhythm specialist. Actually in cardiology, I, I tell my patients, we have a number of different subspecialties. We have the plumbers, which are the interventionalists, the ones that put in stents into balloon angioplasty. And then we have our electricians. Electricians are responsible for rhythm issues and devices that we put in to help um, the, the rhythm system get in, into sync, like having a pacemaker or a defibrillator or a loop recorder. So, so in that circumstance, I can, or at least one can go to an electrophysiologist who can have you brought into the hospital and brought into the, the electrophysiology lab, which is generally with the cath lab or the angio, uh, angio suite. And they're able to actually find where not only this rhythm of disturbance, but even other rhythm disturbances, they can find where it originates and ablate it, either by burning it or, or possibly even freezing it. And many times in AFib, they will freeze it out, uh, specifically because many times it starts in the pulmonary veins, and those places are amenable to inflating a liquid nitrogen-filled balloon and causing frostbite, causing this rhythm problem to, to basically dissipate and go away. So that's another way we can deal with atrial fibrillation. So bottom line is, if you have AFib, you need to talk to your doctor specifically about um, about uh, ways of, of treating it long term. Mind you, uh, ablation it, uh, may take care of the rhythm problem uh, for quite some time. However, typically, AFib rears its head at some point in time in the future. Um, so those who had AFib and have been ablated for AFib, it's it likely it will come back at some point in time. Not necessarily next week or next month or next year, but maybe next decade, who knows. But any, any time in the future is, is a, a possibility. And... Um, that being also said, you know, you'll be able to speak to your doctor about rate controlling uh, medicines as well as antiarrhythmic therapy in addition to antiplatelet or anticoagulant uh, therapy. And in that vein, you'll be a more informed patient and be able to take care of yourself in a better fashion. And that is the long and short of atrial fibrillation. And uh, I hope it covered those areas that were necessary. And I uh, wish you a, uh, a wonderful day of love and light. And this is Dr. Adam Slaver with Warrior Health and Atrial Fibrillation.